I find it very fascinating that humans always have this strong desire to classify things, right? Like we have to call this data management. We have to call this data science. We have to call this AI. I think what we're going to see as we move forward is the lines between all that just significantly blurred, right? And the Internet of Things is really enabling that. Budget overruns, brick devices, data breaches, building connected products is hard. Welcome to Over the Air, sharp, unfiltered conversations with executives about their IoT journeys, the mistakes they made, the lessons they learned, and what they wish they'd known when they started. I'm your host, Ryan Prosser. Welcome back to Over the Air, IoT Connected Devices and the Journey. My name is Ryan Prosser, CEO of Very, and today we're joined by Josh Becker, Senior Global Director and Head of IoT Commercial at SaaS. We're going to be talking about what it takes to develop and implement a winning IoT strategy at the enterprise level. Josh, thanks for being on the show. Ryan, glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. So SaaS is obviously a very large company. You guys are a big player in the space. For those that don't know, can you give us a little background on SaaS and and maybe like a little bit of color about your corner of the world over there? Absolutely. So SaaS is a 47-year-old privately held analytics company, largest privately held analytics company in the world. And as I mentioned, we grew up an analytics company, right? So we have been connecting to and capturing, ingesting data for many, many years. IoT, as we'll talk about today, has changed that paradigm a bit, enabled it a bit more. And SaaS focuses on all industry verticals. We're very heavy in financial services, but my background is in manufacturing. I've had several roles here at SaaS, technical architecture roles and product management roles. And now I'm in a, uh, in a role where I lead this IoT commercial team for SaaS. I'm interested, you know, you mentioned 50-year-old. Uh, I think that takes us back to the 70s or so. What did it look like? I know you weren't there, but I mean, any sense of what analytics looked like in those early days or, or were the, was the, like the, has the strategy evolved? Was it not that at that time? Yeah, well, I appreciate first that you recognize I'm not over 50. That makes me feel good going into the holidays. But yeah, so, you know, I think some of the changes that that have been experienced there is, I, I guess I could sum it up as, as sort of offline versus online now, right? So, so back in the day, statistical methodologies existed. Those methodologies were applied to data, but, you know, data was captured in a much more manual way. This idea of streaming data didn't really exist. Math could have been applied to that data, you know, by hand or with computers, obviously. It was more of a batch process with significant latency. And as if you compare that today, we are less batch. We can apply analytics and math in real time, deliver results and insights in real time. And it's really changed the game. Obviously, you know, computers are much more powerful than they were today. Storage is much more ubiquitous than it was in the 70s. And that is all that all adds up to uh, a high velocity world where analytics and insights can be delivered in a timely manner, which I believe, you know, opens up another level of value that we can all capture and enjoy. You mentioned that your background was manufacturing. I think your background is very interesting. Having talked to you before, can you talk a little bit about your path to this point? Because you don't strike me as like the, the archetype SaaS guy, you know, by the way, for audience SaaS for today is SAS. This is different than software as a service you might be used to SaaS as a company, but your path to SaaS different than 
what I would think of as the like quintessential path. Can you talk about like your path to this moment? You've been through some very cool companies. What's that, what that's looked like? Sure, absolutely, Ryan. So I, uh, I started life, my professional life, as a mechanical engineer. I got a degree from University of Wisconsin Engineering School. And I had aspirations to, you know, design and create things. That's what I thought I'd be doing. And it's interesting that we're here today talking about connected things. I was actually thrust into the world of reliability engineering very early on. Uh, so I sort of cut my engineering teeth in reliability. I, I didn't know much about reliability when I started. But and for those that don't, it's essentially the practice of studying and ensuring that products that we build can safely and successfully perform their intended function over their useful life. And so what that led to for me was an appreciation early on in the value of data, right? So if you're trying to understand how a product is going to perform in the field once it leaves the four four walls of your manufacturing facility, you really only have data, data points uh, that you can study to understand how it's performing, right? And so, you know, again, going back to the the 80s and 90s, much of that was was latent. It could have come through a call center contact where a customer is discussing an issue that they're having with their product. Could have come from warranty claims, and it could have come from you know, say, service technicians who may have had the ability, as we proceeded through the 90s into the early 2000s, to to connect, you know, with a hardwire to an asset and download some data. This episode is brought to you by Very, the worldwide leaders in IoT technology development. Do you have a commercial or industrial IoT project? IoT is a journey. Start yours at verytechnology.com. And so I, as I said, got an appreciation for the value of data early on. And it's interesting that we're here talking about IoT. I, I tend to say that IoT is, is definitely not a new thing. While it's a very popular term in the industry now and there's a lot of buzz around it, Really, the first project that I did outside of college for uh, in this reliability world was was IoT. It was just much different than today, right? So uh, we did a lot of field testing at Subzero Wolf when we built new products or redesigned existing products, and we'd take those those new uh, newly developed products and put them out in the field. We'd interact with with the owners of those products for you know 180, 360 days. And to understand how they were performing and to, and to validate that the new design, the new assembly was going to, to perform, we would actually travel to customers' homes and we would interact with them. We would discuss how the product's working. We would interact with the product. Like I said, at, at one point, we were able to uh, you know, connect to the product with like an RS-232 line and, and download some data. But my boss, at the time being a forward thinker, he had, he had asked me, he said, look, wouldn't it be great? If we could just sit here in Madison, Wisconsin, where Subzero is headquartered, and and have access to that machine and download the data here and study it without having, you know, the latency and all the costs associated with traveling, I built an IoT device, and and if I wish to this day I had a picture of that IoT device, it was about the size of a shoebox, maybe a little bit bigger, you know, had a modem in it, bag phone, uh, and it would connect to the refrigerator. We had it sitting you know, on the customer's counter, taking up a bunch of space. It was gaudy. It was ugly, but it worked. We were able to download, you know, temperature data, voltage, humidity information remotely, and then analyze that data to see how the product was working. And so while it wasn't called IoT then, right, it was really connecting to an asset and ingesting that data. I ended up building a reliability program at Subzero Wolf that was founded in analytics, right? So we ingested sources of data, like I mentioned before, warranty claims, call center calls, 
and studied those to try to get early warning, early detection of potential emerging issues that were happening in the field, right? And then I could guide my engineering teams to redesign things that looked like it was going to be a major excursion that could could cost the company a lot of money from a warranty perspective. And I chose SaaS at the time. So my program was built on SaaS technology, and that's how I became familiar with the company and became familiar and began to appreciate that the true power of, of analytics when applied to data. So I became aware of an opportunity that opened up at SaaS to be an industry consultant, essentially an expert on how analytics can be applied in the manufacturing space to drive value uh, and transform businesses. I would work alongside our sales force to visit with potential customers and explain exactly how this how analytics could be integrated into their programs, integrated into their enterprise and drive value. So today I run this global team of business development executives that are focused on building ecosystems of partners with differentiated technology and really still using my engineering background, right? As engineers, we're kind of classically trained in solving problems. Uh, and that's what I'm, I'm really doing today. I'm taking a look at the market. I'm taking a look at the opportunity and, and real world problems that can be solved through connectivity uh, and the data that is driven as a result of that connectivity. And then helping our end customers really realize value uh, based on that data. I want to talk a little bit about AI, a topic that I think is poised to dominate the news cycle in 23. Probably, in my opinion, beyond just IoT, you know, I think this is, it's ready to spill out into the mainstream more than it is. What's your take on, like, what's SaaS's kind of view on this? Are there some some ways that you guys are utilizing AI that you're thinking, man, this is going to be like when we really crack this, or maybe you have cracked it, this is going to unlock some extreme value. Are there things that you're leery of? Oh, man, we've, we're not there yet on this or this particular piece of it. You know, what, just give me a broad view on AI. We'll dive in a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So similar to IoT, uh, AI is not new. I think folks have a tendency to think that this is, you know, a revolutionary new paradigm, and it's not. And it's very interesting, actually, uh, how closely related and how each uh, how closely related IoT and AI are. In fact, at SAS, we have a tendency to use the term AIoT because they they are almost they are supportive of each other in in many ways. I think if we're going to talk about AI, it's important to stand understand what it is, right? So artificial intelligence is really just making it possible for machines to learn from experience, much like humans learn from experience allowing those machines to adjust to new inputs and perform automated tasks that look human-like, right? Folks have a tendency, I believe, to think about, you know, a computer playing chess and beating a human, right? Or self-driving vehicles. And certainly, uh, you know, that is a, a form of artificial intelligence. And then, of course, there's when we, we get towards the science fictional part where we people talk about, you know, robots taking over the world and, and sort of displacing all of all humans and the need for humans and our skills. But there's really broad applications of AI to modern business problems that I think these aren't new business problems, right? But they're business problems where maybe we've reached the point of diminishing returns um, using traditional methods to solve that problem. We've just be kind of come complacent with the with the, you know, the last mile of issues that we have. SaaS has actually had AI capabilities built into our software for many, many years. And there's many technologies that you should think about when you talk about AI that really underpin AI, right? So there's machine learning, which is automated analytical model building. Uh, it 
really to think about it in simple terms, it's how do we train a machine to learn? There's deep learning, uh, which is a type of machine learning that trains machines. That's where they're training machines to actually uh, perform human-like tasks, such as looking at an image and understanding what that image actually is, as we do with our eyes. And this is where AI and IoT really, really intersect because deep learning requires a significant amount of data to actually train those models to do that. And IoT has opened the door to the collection and ingestion of significant amounts of data, in some cases, still more data than we can handle. So they are supportive of each other there. You need to think of a third technology, natural language language processing. It's a branch of AI that computers focus on understanding, interpreting, and even manipulating human language. And then there's computer vision, where machines are able to interpret and understand the visual world. We've had these capabilities built into our software for many years. Uh, I think what we're seeing right now is that because of the Internet of Things and the fact that we're connected to so many more things and we have so much more data to work with, AI has really been brought to life and it's become more of a reality. And we can aim it at solving real world problems. Uh, The other unique thing uh, about AI is I think it really opens up. We've all heard the term data for good, but I think I think AI can really, really change our lives. And I don't want to sound too altruistic here, but. You know, I got a few examples. SAS teamed up with an organization called WildTrack. They are looking for non-invasive ways uh, to protect endangered species. Uh, we did some work with them around cheetahs. So the cheetah population has declined 93% over the last 100 years from about 100,000 cheetahs to 7,100. And what we've done is work with them to train models that can replicate the work and the abilities of ind- indigenous trackers. So indigenous trackers can look at the footprints and understand the species, whether it's a lion or a cheetah, the age, the sex, the direction, and begin to estimate the number that are in the area. And if we can do that with AI, then we can do things like crowdsource images. So while we can't replicate the indigenous trackers hundreds and hundreds of times, we can use common people who are out in those areas taking pictures of footprints, getting thousands and thousands of pictures, and leveraging AI to understand cheetah's behavior, and therefore figuring out ways we can help. We've done another neat one with the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis. They're a global conservation and environmental protection uh, type organization. On Earth Day 2020, SAS and IIAS teamed up and asked volunteers to identify deforestation in more than 90,000 satellite images. Two years later, where we stand today, we've got participation from 100 countries and have successfully classified over 1 million square meters of the Amazon. Again, so this is like crowd-trained deep learning AI models that can now monitor and detect deforestation autonomously without humans in the loop with over 90% accuracy. So that gets really exciting, right? At some point, we could have satellite images from around the entire globe monitoring for these deforestation issues, which you know are a big issue for us uh, as a society. I think another really interesting application going back to my manufacturing roots is how computer vision could really drive a step change in product quality. So you think about a a manufacturing environment. I don't know if you've ever been on a shop floor, but they can be dirty. They can be messy. There can be plants that are highly sophisticated as well. But more often than not, there's a human in that loop at some point that's using their eyes or using gauges, devices to look for quality issues in the products that that are being built here today. With computer vision, we've deployed computer vision at multiple manufacturing environments where Uh, If you think of a panel, like a panel in your TV or a panel, a solar panel, we can detect 
defects automatically using computer vision down to a, a pixel size, right? So then you start to get into this world where humans aren't displaced. Certainly our skills are still necessary in a manufacturing environment, but AI augments us significantly. And we can get to that next level of value, which is just unreachable using legacy techniques like humans and, and gauges and things of that nature. So it's a very exciting space, I think. One of the things I love about your background is the original degree in mechanical engineering. And you, you must look back sometimes in Marvel. You know, a mechanical engineer has come a long way from, you know, a University of Wisconsin training that you got there. I mean, I got to think that like something like 0% of the coursework that you took originally <laughs> is, is guiding you today. Is that, you know, when, when you look back, is it kind of amazing to think about this journey personally? Well, yeah, if you, if you would have asked me back then, like I said, I thought for the rest of my life, I would be just designing things on paper, designing things in CAD. At SAS, I've, I've actually been in direct sales. I've been a seller. I've been an architect. Now I'm in business development. If you asked me back then, I would have said you were absolutely nuts, right? But not quite 0%, Ryan, because we did have to take quite a bit of math, quite a bit of statistics to become an engineer. Those learnings are certainly relevant today as we work with our end customers to understand exactly how they're going to solve problems. But yeah, as far as, you know, first off, going well beyond manufacturing, right? So my team and myself work in, on all industry verticals where IoT can be relevant, including some of these societal data for good type projects. Actually, one of the most exciting uh, solutions that we've created is really for you know, state and local governments to monitor flooding and the progression of floods and prevent as much possible damage and and harm to human life as we can during flood, flooding incidents. You know, if you asked me back then, would I be working with state and local governments on, on monitoring flooding? I wouldn't have had a notion of doing that. But the principles of engineering still apply, right? As I said earlier, it's, it's all problem solving and it's just the way technology the cost of hardware, the way connectivity has evolved over time, it's allowed us to solve problems in a whole new way. And it's made data much more important in our lives. Whole new way. Perfect uh, segue. So a few minutes ago, you mentioned, I'm going to use like hand wavy terms. So for the audience that can't see me, you know, in a very non-engineering way of waving my hands around. So there's this layer that sits between, so this is world according to Josh, but I happen to agree with it, between quote-unquote IoT, so the devices out in the field, uh, hardware devices with sensors attached, collecting data, feeding that back in. You know, and then you've got AI. Uh, these are not connected layers. There's a layer in between. I'm going to come back. This is my question. So then there's AI. So like doing really interesting things based on the models that are based on the data that are, you know, whatever. And that middle layer is, some people call it data science. You know, I think it's the collection of and doing things with that sensor data that's out in the... Talk a little bit about SAS's and Josh's. I mean, you, you've touched on a little bit, but like go a little bit deeper on that data layer, like data management, data science, how you guys think about it. This, I think, for the audience out there, I'll just say, is where over 90% of companies get it wrong. So they, they successfully deploy the thing, they get it out in the wild, and they're collecting all this information. It's, it's orders of magnitude more than they're prepared for then they have the capabilities to do interesting and useful things with. What's SAS's view? What's Josh's view on, on this? First, I'll start by saying, Ryan, it's, I, I find it very fascinating that humans always have this, this strong desire to classify things, right? Like we have to call this data management. We have to call this data science. We have to call this AI. I think what we're going to see as we 
move forward is the lines between all that just significantly blurred, right? And, and the Internet of Things is really enabling that. So, you know, if, if we, we go back in history a little bit, right, I think there was always, particularly if, if you're a software person, a technologist or an engineer, there's this understanding that the closer I can get to the asset, the easier it is for me to understand how that asset is performing, the easier it is for me to influence what that asset might do next, right? One of the interesting things about SaaS growing up uh, an analytics company is we also have extremely capable data management capabilities because we've always had to access data in some other technologies, right? And so analytics are worthless without the data. And so there is this idea that one of the first and critical steps, if you're looking to apply analytics in an enterprise scale and actually derive value from that effort is understanding, all right, how am I going to get the data? What data is the right data based on the use case that I'm trying or the problem that I'm trying to solve? What am I going to do with that data? How do I get the insights from that data? And then how do I actually take action? And what the Internet of Things and AI will come to is less thinking about that and more of doing all that in real time. So, so SAS has a, a technology in my division that we take care of called uh, event stream processing. And so then you start to get to the point where you can take very rigorous analytics, right, and put them out at the edge and run them on data as the data is created and generated, close the loop and influence that asset in real time versus you know, where we were uh, years ago would be, you know, you would collect that data, that data would go to a data warehouse, we would run a bunch of analytics in batch, we would see neat things, then we would go out and take action. And so when I said earlier, those lines are going to be blurred, at some point, it will just be, we have to build certain types of analytics offline, because they require a lot of data. But once those analytics are built, they're deployed in an operational runtime, and they're just constantly ingesting data constantly de delivering insights and in cases where you can close that loop, influencing the behavior of our assets the way we want them to behave. We're running a little bit light on time, but tell me, like transition us now looking forward, what are you excited about at SAS? What's next for you guys, 23, 24 and beyond, I suppose? Yeah, absolutely. Well, since we were talking about AI, there's there's some areas that I'm passionate about and I think it's gonna they're, they're going to become more important, not only to SaaS, we're taking them very seriously right now, but society as a whole, and that is ethics and AI, right? How do we ensure that these very advanced models that we're building operate in an ethical manner? How do we make sure that we eliminate bias? And there will be at some point a monumental shift. It's really, it's really a foundation of trust, right? As a society, we are going to need to learn to trust machines. And if I was a, a psychologist, I think it would be fun to understand that. But that's really what's going to what's coming down the road. How do we make sure that all this really incredible math that we're creating operates in a fair, unbiased manner and is applied in ways that are, are going to be beneficial to society instead of detrimental? Uh, I think we're going to see a democratization of AI like we saw with the democratization of data and, and basic analytics where business users and domain experts, people who are not classically trained in statistics, analytics, or data science will have AI at their disposal, low code, no code type um, methods for them to build a model pointed at a specific problem and get the results. Personally, I'm extremely excited about computer vision. I think 
you know, AI, you, you have a tendency to think really broadly, really big. And like I said earlier, can border on science fiction, but computer vision and the application of that to real world problems, whether it's defect detection and manufacturing or understanding traffic flow or understanding utilization of something that you built, right? Monitoring with the computer. I think that application right there is, is one that can get very quickly get to autonomous where humans are no longer in the loop and the computer vision is just augmenting what we would normally have done and making all of our lives better. Uh, SAS is, is taking computer vision very seriously. Uh, we're working with computer vision in state and local governments, computer vision in manufacturing, energy. So I think all those uh, are things in the next couple of years here we'll be highly focused on and I'm very excited about. Yeah, you know, I don't have the right answer. I, I hear about ethics in AI a lot. We do a lot of AI at my company. And I find myself saying a lot, that topic feels most in need of a rebrand of all the things we've talked about today. Because, you know, you said, hey, humans have this need to categorize things into buckets. And there's, I think, reasons why humans have agreed to call things common terms. But I, I sometimes think about like the ethics issue as efficiency, you know, and like designing a perfectly, if it's very difficult to imagine a low ethics outcome that isn't detrimental to the whole system from an efficiency perspective. And knowing engineers, I know a, a couple, you know, we employ a couple hundred, they are obsessed with efficiency, you know, like designing this perfectly efficient outcome. W what's your take? Just that this was a quick follow-up. Just one minor thing you said, I'm curious to hear what Josh thinks about ethics and AI. It feels like an efficiency problem to me. What's your take? Yeah, I, I think it is an efficiency problem. And I also think it's a question of how much do we lean and influence, right? So if you go into the forecasting world, I've, I've never been a forecaster myself, but I've not, not weather forecasting I'm not talking about here, but I'm talking about analytical forecasting, right? One of the rules that I've heard described to me many, many times is don't touch the forecast, right? Trust the math. People like to get in and tinker and say, well, I know a little bit more about what's happening. No, trust the math. Don't touch the forecast. The forecast is very efficient if you rely on the math. I think we may run into something similar with AI, right? So how, who determines what is ethical or unethical if the data is telling the model one thing and that is the thing, right? So I do think it is about efficiency and I do think it's, it's going to create sort of a paradox where we try to say how much do we meddle with the math or leave the math alone and allow it to do what it's, what it's supposed to do. Last question. You know, you've been in IoT for, well, as you said, you know, IoT didn't always used to be called IoT. I remember when I started, it was systems of systems, you know, and then I think before that it was a distributed uh, workstation environment, whatever. Who are some people out in IoT land? This is my favorite question. I love to ask people this. Who are some people out in IoT that you think they're doing good work that you think not enough people are talking about? Yeah, so that, that's an interesting question, right? Because uh, so one of the foundational things that we built our IoT division on was this understanding that IoT is very complex, right? And I think more than ever, uh, and this is kind of cliche, but I think more than ever, businesses, practitioners really need to focus in on what their core competency is. And that's why our business here is founded on partnering, partnering with other people that have some of the building blocks that you need to deliver an end-to-end -end IoT solution that's effective. You can't be the master of all things, right? So you come across in IT people that have built differentiated, differentiated hardware, neat new sensors, new types of software. Uh, we're partnered with a with a company called Exactor, and I think this is this is just one of the most novel 
creations that I've I've seen here in, in recent years in the world of IoT. So they've they've created a sensor and we're delivering the software around that sensor that can literally just pass by utility assets and analyze the uh, frequencies that are being emitted from that utility asset. So if you think of a transformer on a pole or the green pedestals that are in your neighborhoods, and then we can use that data to predict impending failures in those assets. So as that begins to evolve, we could really get to the point where, you know, on the West Coast, maybe we could start to prevent the forest fires that are started when transformers arc or explode and we can protect citizens. We can certainly drive value to the bottom line of utility because their operational costs of maintenance are significantly high. And I think, you know, a sensor like that, right before the Internet of Things existed, if you will, or before we had this ability to almost ubiquitously connect and stream data, wouldn't have had a place, wouldn't have had an application. And now it does. So we can take that information and predict these failures. So I, I really like what they're doing. And I think our partnership has a lot of, lot of potential. I love it. I don't often um, add a recommendation of my own for the audience, but I'll just say today, uh, Josh and I are recording this episode. It's negative 40 where I live, negative 40 Fahrenheit, but uh, also interesting note, negative 40 is the point at which it's the same number Fahrenheit and Celsius. So uh, global audience, <laughs> no conversion necessary. I, it is negative 40 <laughs> and Starlink is just chugging along. We're 10 degrees outside of its operating range. So they're rated for negative 30 on the low end. Uh, we're 10 degrees out of that. So I wanted to give a tip of the cap to uh, know Elon Musk as we sit here right now, December 2022, not having the greatest month of his life, but Starlink is uh, has delivered today. So kudos to Starlink. Josh, That's uh, man, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you for the invite, Ryan. I appreciate it. Hope we can talk again in the future. Absolutely. And thank you for listening. Join us next time as we meet with another IoT executive to talk about things that went wrong on a journey that went right. Over There is brought to you by Very. To find out more about us, head over to verytechnology.com. And to ensure you never miss an episode, don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever great podcasts are found. And as always, five-star reviews are greatly appreciated.